talk about something today that I believe is uh, can and will change your life. And I know that when I say that, I believe every Sunday when I get up and I preach about something, I believe what I'm going to say, it can and will change your life. But uh, I really do believe this can change kind of the, the face of Emmanuel and kind of change the, uh, the, not necessarily the direction because the direction is already going that way, but it can change the way that we live our lives within Emmanuel if, if you do it. And everything hinges on this one thing that I believe is a part of the only thing that Jesus told us to do. If he gives us this this one big command, this one big uh, job responsibility, I feel like that should probably be the focus of what our church is and what our individual lives are. And we are all familiar with this on some level, but it's whether or not we choose to do it. Or not. So here's the scripture, the scripture that kind of gives us the command. This is one that you guys all know. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19 and 20. It says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always until the very end of the earth. Now, this is the Great Commission. Those of you who grew up in church, and maybe you've heard this before, this is Jesus' final thing that he tells us before he ascends to heaven. This is after the resurrection. This is the time that he spent with the, the, the disciples after he's come back to life, and he gives us this one last job to do. And that is the sole focus of everything that we do within our church. Now listen, we talk a lot about spiritual gifts and spiritual abilities and things that we're strong at and things that we're weak at. If I'm just going to be real honest with you guys, when it comes to evangelism and the, the term evangelism, that is not my spiritual gift. It's not. My spiritual gift is preaching and teaching, hopefully, right? Because that's what I'm doing right now. But, but when it comes to strength, listen, I know people who will tell people about Jesus whether they are listening or not. They'll go up and talk to a rock about Jesus because it's just the gift that God's given them. And every one of us, when we start talking about that, you all go, that's not me. So I guess somebody else will do that. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. What we're talking about is being intentional with evangelism, with this charge that, that Jesus has given us that says this is the most important thing. Listen, it, this, this one passage of Scripture gives us the very basic outline of the church. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teach them to obey everything that we do. This is, this is all-encompassing the vision of church. It has to do with discipleship making. It has to do with uh, a a, a proof of conversion, and it has to do with the process of sanctification, which is just a church fancy word for growing and becoming more like Jesus. And so when we do everything that we do, everything at Emmanuel centers around this one thought, whether it's my strength or your strength or not, everything that we do, every ministry that we have, every outreach event that we perform, every community event that we host, everything that we do has to do with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. And I believe those commands, that one little command from Jesus, those three aspects invade every aspect of our life. Listen, if you want to know what we're about at Emmanuel Baptist Church, it's this. If you don't know this by now, then you need to know this, that we are a great commission church. We believe that it's our responsibility to share the gospel with as many people as we can so that when it all comes down to the end, more people go to heaven and less people go to hell. And that responsibility Jesus has given 
to us. And that's scary and it's exciting and it's for some of us nerve-wracking and some of us we clam up and we get sweaty palms and we don't know what to say and we're afraid if we say the wrong thing somebody's going to believe the wrong thing and they end up going to hell and that's not how it works. We've got to be intentional about the way that we say and the way that we live and the way that we present the gospel every day in our life. And most of the time, most of us, real talk, we don't really think about it. We come to church, we do the things that we're supposed to do, we give our tithe, we give our offering, we serve when we can serve, we, we attend when we can attend, and most of the time we just live our life on a normal basis every day in and out, and we're not thinking about the responsibility that God's given us through the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Because most of the time we're just kind of living our own life, doing our own thing. I believe that when we begin to look at the Great Commission, we begin to see that this impacts every part of our life. If you are a, if you're new to church, if you're just here and you maybe you've been invited by somebody, which is the goal of all church members to invite somebody to church, we've been talking about that since January. If you're new and you're saying, listen, I don't know who this Jesus guy is, I don't know how this can really change my life, but I'm willing to at least be here and I'm willing to at least listen uh, to somebody, then this is, this is something that we would love to share with you. I would love, our staff would love, the person who's sitting next to you, whether they admit it or not, would love to be able to tell you about who Jesus is and how he can change everything and how they've changed their life and how he's changed the, the way that they live their life. Listen, if you are a saved person again that's another church word i hate using those kind of church words but if you are a person who says i believe in who jesus is i've come underneath his lordship i am a saved. i've asked him to be a part of my life to forgive my sin and to save me eternally that's why we use the word saved if you are a saved person then i believe that the great commission and the, the goal of evangelism can continue to uh, impact your life because there's always another level that there's always another thing that God's trying to reveal himself to you about. And there's always a new place that he's trying to shine in your life to get rid of the dark areas, those little areas that we think nobody else really knows about. And he's wanting to kind of get rid of those and flesh those out. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you know who he is, and you are trying to, to continue to grow deeper in your relationship, then guess what? We want to come alongside you. And we want to encourage you and we want to support you and we want to show you all those different facets of your life that God says, I can take over and I can change and I can make radically different and you can really live life on a level that you've never lived it before. When we start talking about sharing the gospel, it's more than just, hey, do you know where you're going to go when you die? It's, hey, I want you to know. I love you enough to tell you, and let me tell you something, when you start getting into it, man, you just keep going in deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's a process in your life that is the most incredible and the most fulfilling and the most rewarding thing that you're ever going to do is when you give your life to Jesus, because when you give it initially, you continue to give it over and over and over and over and over again. That's what sanctification is. That's that big church word that just means we're learning and we're growing and we're getting deeper and deeper with Jesus. Now, here's the deal problem is is that when most of us read the great commission we just assume that jesus was talking to preachers right and i put on the screen it's already up there he wasn't just speaking to preachers well that's the job of the pastor whenever somebody wants to get saved who we call you call up the preacher 
and say, listen, my kid's asking some questions, and I don't know what to say to him. Will you come talk to him? And I get the responsibility to go over, which is great. I love it. I love getting to lead people through that. But I want to empower every one of you to say, I can do this. I can walk through this whole process of what salvation is with my own family, with my own friends, with my own coworkers, with my own spouse. Listen, this process wasn't just given to preachers. It'd be, it'd be great if that was the job, but that's not, the, that's not it. Because it, that, that would leave all you guys off the hook. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I don't have to do that. Matt's going to do that. No, I don't do that. TJ and Dustin can do that. But that's not what he said. He said, go and do it. He didn't pull over a little holy huddle and go, now listen, preachers. I've got something for you to do. You need to tell people about it. He told everybody, go tell Go and make disciples. But the problem is we get so narrow and we get so tunnel visioned that we don't do a good job of accomplishing the Great Commission. You know my most favorite phone calls that I get? The most favorite phone calls that I get are when somebody calls and says, Hey, listen, so-and-so and so-and-so was asking some questions about who Jesus was. And man, I set them down and I talked to them and I got to lead them through that process. And they, man, they got saved. And then they say this, Will you, will you talk to them too just to make sure I didn't mess that up? <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, man, I'd love to. I love the phone calls that I get that say, hey, man, my, my kid was asking some questions and I, I wanted to make sure I was doing this right. So I called so-and-so or I called this deacon in the church or I called this Sunday school teacher. Man, they walked through that process with them and, and you know, they, they got to be, uh, they got to the understanding and they gave their life to Jesus. Man, I love that people within the church are not afraid to share the gospel because here's what happens. And I see this happen over and over and over again. We go to Haiti. uh, We go to Boston. We go outside of Bradley County and outside of the Warren and Monticello area. And and we are boldly sharing our faith. And we're not ashamed. And we'll talk to anybody about Jesus. But when we get back home, it's like we just clam up. And we don't know what to do. And we don't know how to act. And we don't know how to interject that conversation with people that we see every day. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about intentional evangelism because I believe uh, with our theme of 2019 to be intentional, that every aspect of our life needs to be that way as well when it comes to sharing the gospel. So we're going to look at a really uh, unique story today, that one that, uh, that we looked at a little bit at the associational meeting on Monday night. If you were there, I, I spoke, gave a little five-minute devotion, if you can believe that. It was, uh, it was less than 10 minutes. So I was given a 10-minute window, and I stayed within it. Uh, but we, I kind of gave a quick little devotion about this. We're going to p- unpack that a little bit more. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 begins to kind of tell us a little bit uh, of a story that, that John's kind of recording that happened uh, to Jesus while he was in Jerusalem. It's this really cool, interesting story. If you don't know the, the ins and outs of it, then you're going to learn a little bit of something today because I think it's really, really neat. But he asked, Jesus asked this guy this really interesting question that, that we're going to kind of work our way through. So here's what it says. John chapter 5, verse 1, starts off like this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered conolades. Now this pool of Bethesda is the pool that that feeds water into the temple. So it's real close to the temple. There's this pool and it's got these uh, kind of covered, think of it like a little amphitheater out there, okay? Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Now this is a pretty incredible story. Let me give you a little bit of background here, because if you don't understand this, it kind of gets a little weird. This pool of Bethesda, the legend around this is that uh, all these uh, sick and paralyzed individuals would be there, and they'd basically kind of camp out there. They'd stay there all the time. Um, and then the legend says that an angel would come down and stir the water. And when the water was being stirred, the first person in was healed. And so the, the man kind of saying, listen, I don't have anybody help me in the water. By the time I get in, somebody else has already gotten in. They've already stole the miracle water, and I can't get healed, okay? It's kind of a weird, kind of an odd little legend, but that's, that's the legend. That's what they believe. That's kind of what they adhered to. And so that's the reason why there's all these people there all the time. I mean, if you were in that condition, would you not be like toes in the water waiting to cannonball into this magic water that would save you? So this guy's close, and he's here, and he's here all the time, but notice what Jesus does. Jesus bypasses all that. He, he kind of skips over the little miracle water, and he skips over the legend, and he skips over all that kind of stuff, and he walks up to this man who's been there for 38 years, and he asks him a very interesting question. Do you want to get well? Now, why would he ask him that kind of question? I believe for this man... His life, although abnormal to us, was very normal to him. He didn't have a job. He most likely did not have family, or that family would have been taking care of him. He, he didn't have any kind of major responsibilities. He lived on handouts, and he begged for money to, to at least even have food. He, he hoped every day for something he would probably never get. His life was normal. He had a routine. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. He had, he had, a, he had a kind of a, a, root, uh, a set way of life. And so when Jesus comes up and says, do you want to get well? I think it's a pretty fair question. Because if he were to get well, then everything changed. It's just like us. Listen, we all live semi-predictable lives, right? We have our routines, we have our schedules, we have the things that normally go on. And when we, we know that because when our routine changes and when something crazy happens, it just throws everything off. Like sometimes it takes us a minute to readjust. But normally we live comfortable, predictable lives that we are somewhat in control of. And listen, when we interject the gospel into that normalcy, it draws us into something deeper. That's where spiritual growth and accountability for our actions come in. I think that's where we, I think sometimes God even still looks at us, quote unquote, normal people and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to go deeper? Do you want it to be something other than just what you check off on Sundays? Because when we go deeper and when we get well, there's, there's accountability and there's responsibility. There's, there's this higher standard and we can't keep living life the same way. I think in the same way Jesus came up to this man, I think sometimes he comes up to us and says, do you want to 
You want to get well? Do you want things to radically change? And here's the hook, and, and listen, I, I believe this is true, and this is, I've got two points today, and this is one of them. If we're going to make intentional evangelism a part of our life, then we're going to be sharing the gospel with people who may not want to get well, who may not see the value in it. Because life is good. Their normal routine is fine. Everything that's happening is predictable and it's working and they, the majority of them may not see the benefit of the change that happens. Because listen, it's real easy to share the gospel with certain types of people, right? It's easy to share the gospel with the woman at the well, right? The five-time divorcee who's living with her boyfriend. You can walk up to her situation and go, listen, you need to hear about Jesus, right? With the, with the adulterous woman that was drug out, y'all remember that? And the crowd was ready to stone her. That's, oh yeah, we need to share Jesus with that person. Maybe even uh, the, the paralytic who was carried by his friends, and we read that, and I've told that story from the perspective of, oh, how wasn't it great that his friends loved him? What if he didn't want to go? What if he's like, listen, I don't know about this guy, but the friends were like, listen, we're taking you anyway. Now, it's easy to share the gospel with people like that. It's easy to share the gospel with Nicodemus. Y'all remember the story, John chapter 3? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus was a leader in the Sanhedrin. He was a, he was a church guy, quote-unquote, and he came to Jesus at night, which is significant because he didn't want anybody else knowing that he was coming. And he asked Jesus these questions about how can I have this eternal life? And Jesus didn't play into that. Remember, he said, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? That's not possible. I can't do that. And they have this weird interaction. Listen, it's easy to share the gospel when people are coming to you saying, tell me about him. Tell me about him. It's harder to share the gospel with people who are in our circle, right? Maybe, our, maybe even our family circle, maybe even just our circle of influence, our friend circle, people that we see on a regular basis, the soccer moms and the, and the, and the, and the dads who maybe we work out with or maybe the, um, maybe the people who we let our kids go to their house and spend the weekend uh, or go to their birthday parties and enjoy their, their friends with. Maybe, maybe even the people within our own church who are kind of just here and we know that, that maybe what they're doing in life isn't really lining up with what the gospel says. It's hard to walk up to them and say, listen, do you, do you really know who Jesus is? Do you know, like, have you been to a point where you've, like, been saved? Do you know that, that you know that, that you know that? This guy had been living his life for 38 years. Talk about being in a routine. Right? We get in these ruts and we get in these little habits and we kind of get in this thing where we just kind of keep doing the same thing because that's just kind of what we've always done. He's been doing this for 38 years. And Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? I mean, I read it and I was like, that's a dumb question. Like of, of all the things he could have said to this guy, that one doesn't make any sense to me. But when you think about it, like, of course he wants to get well. And here's the thing. He's even staying close to the thing that he thinks would make him well. He's by the pool. He's waiting to see if it gets stirred. He's waiting to see if he can get some sort of healing. And I believe the reality is we got a lot of people who come to church and who stay close to something that they think can make them well 
but they really never understood what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Maybe, it's, maybe they're just checking off boxes of, well, I gave my tithe. Well, I showed up to church this week. Well, I even served and helped out in this area. Or, man, I even volunteered to teach this. Or I even volunteered to, to drive the bus full of kids to this. Or I did this. Or I did that. They're, they're staying close, maybe even to relationally, to people who they know are kind of spiritual pillars in their life. And it can be the staff, or it can be Sunday school teachers, or it can be people who have had influence in their life in the, in the years that they've lived. But, but they're staying close to that. But they, they've never really just made that big step and we see them we know that their lives don't line up with the gospel and what jesus teaches but if we're real and we're honest we're just too afraid to ask them do they really know who jesus is do you want to get well because honestly we're embarrassed we're we're unsure we're trying to live this politically correct like okay life and and not trying to offend anybody in the back of our mind we know that jesus is saying go and make disciples but we're afraid to just ask and look at somebody and say you know what i love you and i because i love you i'm going to ask you a really awkward weird question ma'am do you do you know do you really understand who jesus is do you really get this whole christian life do you understand what the gospel really means are you are you saved we don't want to do that, with, especially within the church, because we just assume that everybody who goes to church is saved. Listen, listen. Everybody who goes to church is not saved. Jesus tells us that. Listen, I'm going to separate the, the sheep from the goats. Remember that whole story? And those are going to call on me, say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this? Did we not do this in your name? And he's going to say, I didn't know you. Because we've got a lot of people that go through the motions and check off the boxes and think, well, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer and I talked to a preacher and I even may even got baptized, but they never really made a commitment and they're just, they're just living life. And they're staying close to what they think can heal them, but they've never really been asked, do you want to get well? Do you want to go deeper? Do you want this to be real and not just this routine? Do you really want to understand what a relationship with Jesus looks like? And that's, listen, that's not a hard question to ask. We make it really hard. We may, I remember, I'm, I'm probably, I think I've told this story on a Wednesday night. I don't know if I've told it in here. I remember as a high school student, I grew up in church. I was going to church nine months before I was born. You know what I'm talking about? Like my mom and daddy went all the time. And so I grew up in church. I moved to Bryant when I was a teenager, and I got involved at our home church, and I was there every time it was open. I was a leader. And y'all remember when they used to do like a, the youth group, like, um, like presidents and stuff like that, and we were like a little youth council or whatever. I was the, I was the president of the youth council, and I, was, I totally wasn't. I was saved. I wasn't living it. I was just going through the motions. I was a, I was a high school kid. And uh, we were on, I, was, I played in the band. Uh, I was a drummer in, in high school. And, and, uh, and I remember being on the school bus on the way back from a football game. And a girl two seats in front of me stood up, turned around and sat on her knees and looked at me and said, you go to church? And I said, yeah. And she asked me something about Jesus. I don't even remember what the question was, but I just remember going, uh, uh. And thankfully, somebody behind me said well let me tell you and they stood up and they shared the gospel with that girl on a on a school bus after a football game and i remember sitting there feeling so stupid 
going, Matt, you've lived, you've lived, you know this stuff. Why didn't you just answer her? And I got so in my head and I got so embarrassed in that moment. Going, I should be able to share my faith. Even as a 16, 17-year-old kid, I realized that. You know, the first time I did it, 19 years old in Guatemala to a lady who didn't speak a lick of English. And she didn't speak Spanish either. And I didn't speak her language and she didn't know mine. I had a record player I was playing for her with the gospel on it. And the guy goes, hey, she doesn't understand that language either. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, just tell her about Jesus. And I in that moment thought, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I started with Adam and Eve. And I went all the way through. And I went, there's King David came up. And man, Jesus is from David's line. And he did a lot of stuff. He went, there's this girl named Bathsheba. You don't even get into all that. And my translator says, eyes are getting bigger. And he's just like, how long? It's 45 minutes later. I finally got to Jesus in the New Testament. And he looked at me and he goes, I'll take it from here. And I said, okay. Four minutes later, that lady gave her life to Christ. And I was like, yeah, she knows the Old Testament and she knows about Jesus. Listen, the first time I ever shared, I was in a foreign country and I thought, Matt, why don't you know how to share? Because I didn't make the Great Commission a real part of my life until I was in my 20s. I thought, you know what, I should be able to walk somebody through this and it's not complicated and you don't have to know the Old Testament history and you don't have to know all that. You just have to know who Jesus is, what he came to do and why he loves you. And I thought, man, I can get that down. I can, I can work on that. But when we share, sometimes we're sharing with people who don't, who don't even get it. They don't even realize that, that life can be different than what they're living right then. And they may not want to get well. Wouldn't it be awesome? I said this two weeks ago. Wouldn't it be awesome if every time we shared the gospel, somebody got saved? Wouldn't it be great? It'll be every, like remember when Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and he shares the gospel with all the crowd and 3,000 people got saved? If that happened every time we shared the gospel, wouldn't that be awesome? We'd be, talk, we'd be sharing it every time. That's not what happens. You may share the gospel a hundred times and nobody gets saved. You may tell what Jesus has done in your life 150 times and maybe one person understand. But isn't it, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it for that one person to understand what eternity looks like on the other side of heaven? Listen, we have this responsibility. And I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to have this like Billy Graham crusade type um, evangelistic, uh, invite all your friends and family over to your house and borrow the table from the church and get a little, if you want the pulpit, we got the pulpit back there. You can get that out and put it in your living room. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to find one person that you know that you're supposed to share the gospel with. One person, that's the North American Mission Board um, has stood out just a whole bunch of um, documentation and flyers and all this kind of stuff about find your one, who's your one. And it's this idea of just, it's, it's, not, it's not hold a big meeting and we do that here on Sundays. It's find one person that you need to tell about Jesus and tell them. Who's your one person? Man, do you know who he is? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you certain where you'll spend eternity? I love that this story, uh, Jesus changes this man's whole life. After 38 years, he says, get up, take your mat, 
and walk. And then the rest of the story is kind of crazy. In the second half of verse 9, uh, it says the day that which, Jesus, that, that which this all took place was a Sabbath. Okay? And if you remember anything about Old Testament law and what the Jews believe on the Sabbath, there is absolute, you cannot do anything. You're not allowed to do nothing on the Sabbath. Okay? And so when this happened, it was on a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had just been healed, this is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. And we read that and go, really? And the guy's response is so great. He replied, uh, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Like he's saying, like, basically this dude just did something incredible for me and he told me to do this and so I'm going to do it. Like, I don't care if you think it's a good idea for me to carry because carrying the mat was considered work and you're not supposed to work at all on the Sabbath. And so the Jews who are sitting back watching all this happen and watch a man who's not been able to walk for 38 years get up and grab his mat and start walking around and go, hey, you're not supposed to be carrying that mat. And the guy goes, I don't care what you say. This guy over here just told me to carry my mat, so I'm going to carry Changed his whole life. He was not only doing what Jesus said, he was unashamedly doing it and going, listen, I don't care what the rules are. This guy just told me to do it, and I'm going to do it because he's done something for me that you guys have never been able to do. And this leads us to the second half of this whole sermon. Listen, if we're going to make intentional evangelism a part of our life, then we have to live by what he says. We have to do what Jesus tells us to do. Take your Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 2. It's just a couple of uh, pages over Romans chapter 2. This is right after John's Acts, and Acts is Romans. Romans 2 has this really incredible uh, passage of Scripture. Paul's talking to the church in Rome, and some of the Jews in Rome were basically saying, listen, we're good. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. We have the law. We, we've even been circumcised, which was just a, it was an outward um, like proof of their religiousness, okay, if, that, if you can say it like that. Uh, so the Jews are saying, we don't, we don't need all this. We, we're the Jews. We're good people. We, we have everything that we need, and, and Paul's basically telling like, listen, if you're going to claim it, you can't live like everybody else. There's got to be this change in your life. There's got to be this something that's different. It's, gotta, it's more than just calling yourself a Jew. It's, it's living it. Does that sound familiar? See what he says, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now you... If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, this is very much in your face. This is basically Paul looking at us saying, listen, if you, if you call yourself a Christian, you think you have this all together. If you're, if you're going and you're telling other people, if you're going to be an example for the grace of Christ in your life, which, by the way, should be all of us, verse 21, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God? By breaking the law, as it's written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is very much in our face. Can you, can you imagine, this is Paul looking at us saying, listen, if you're going to live it, then live it. 
If you're going to do this, then do this. Quit playing games. Quit playing at commitment. Quit playing at devotion. Quit playing at church. Stop acting like one thing and professing another. Because when we do that, God's name is drug through the mud. It's God's name that's paying the price for our selfishness, for our lack of influence, for our placated religion. It's God's name that pays the price for that. If you're going to live it, then live it. And so he comes and he says, listen, on one hand we have this guy whose life has been completely changed and he's, now he's obviously, uh, he's, he's obe- obedient to Christ on every level in, chapter, in John chapter 5 and then we move over to Romans chapter 2 and we've got a lot of people who are saying, we're good. We're okay. We don't need all this extra. We're, we're, we're good. And then Paul says, well, if you're, if you're that good, then you should be living, there should be something different about you. And so to us, we read that, and obviously we're not Jews, and we're not Jewish, but we're Christians, and a lot of us have that label that we hold loosely to sometimes. And we say, I'm good, I've got Jesus, I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, I'm good, I, I don't need all this extra. The Great Commission was for somebody else, I can do and I can live life however I want to, because I've got forgiveness and I've got grace and I've got the promise of mercy and I have the hope of eternal life because I'm a Christian and Paul looks at us and says if you're going to live it then live it because you can't just fake through it those of you who teach others do you not teach yourself those of you who speak against adultery do you not commit adultery do you not those who have bore idols do you not rob temples do those, listen you can't say one thing and act another you can't talk about evangelism and not live a life defined by the gospel And for us in our circumstance this morning and around our conversation talking about intentional with our evangelism, listen, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect to share your faith. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. Don't walk away going, well, Matt says if I'm not living it, I can't do it. The goal goal and what I'm kind of poking you towards this morning is live it so that you can share it. Live it so that you can share it. Because we have this treasure that's inside of us that is the world-shaking this, this life-changing truth. And we just kind of bury it down and we act like it's not that big of a deal because we're not really living it. We're not really going and making disciples. We're kind of choosing to ignore the command. And even worse, I think a lot of times we don't tell because we know we don't live it. We don't share our faith because it would, it would really kind of impact us on a certain level. Listen, as much as we talked about the man who had to get well and how that was going to change everything and it was going to essentially cost him his routine, for those of us who are willing to fulfill the Great Commission and, and to do what God's asking us to do, it's going to cost us something as well. It's the cost of obedience. It's the price that we pay with our own life that Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me and it's that denying of ourself and it's that taking up of our cross that costs us something but man the reward is so much greater than the cost and when we begin to look at life in that perspective and we see that that when we begin to really truly live this and it's just a natural extension of who we are that when we begin to share it's very easy to share who jesus is it's very easy to talk about what this life change looks like because our lives are defined by that life change 
where you don't have to, you don't have to have all this extra. I'm going to tell you this in a little bit, but man, it fits so well right here. I'm, next week, we're going to talk about how we actually do this. If you, if you don't, if you don't come, uh, if you don't have a desire to come, come next week because next week we're going to talk about how do we actually share our faith. And and we get so messed up. I'm not going to give you. The, I mean, there's there's a thousand different programs. Some of y'all have gone through. Um, CWT or EE or uh, uh, experiencing God or sharing Jesus without faith or fear and all these different things where you memorize 45 different scriptures and you've got to have it in either the CEV or the KGV and you don't know which one you're doing so you just kind of make a blend of each of them and you get confused because one of them was supposed to be in Romans and you said it was in 1 Thessalonians and you get messed up. I'm not going to give you all that. I'm going to give you one simple way to share your faith. And listen, when your life is a reflection of the faith that you claim to have, it's very, very easy. Because this is not, now listen, do as I say and not as I do, but Jesus loves you. That's not what we're doing. It's supposed to be an expression of who we are. It's very natural when you live it the way you're supposed to be living. And that's all Paul's trying to tell these people here. It's like, listen, if it's real, and it means you're pursuing something that's bigger than you. It means that God and church and Jesus is more than just this hour on Sunday mornings, that you are living proof that God still works miracles, that you are a shining example of his grace, that you are not perfect by any means, but you're pursuing a perfect God and you are not the same as you were before you came to understand him. That's the easiest way. We're going to, we're going to really dive into that uh, in just a little bit. Paul wraps up this thought, Romans chapter 2, verse 29, and he's basically saying, listen, all these outward things that you do, all these things doesn't really matter. It has to do with the circumcision of your heart. And he brought this parallel to their heart and how their heart has to be changed. And if their heart's not changed, then they're just going through the motions. And I think a lot of us, on a big level, just go through the motions because our hearts really aren't into it. We've got this command to, to go and to make disciples. And we sit back and we go, I just don't think that, I don't think he meant for me to do that. And the whole time Jesus is going, I said go. I, I said, I said go. And, and when we, our lives don't line up with that, it's his name that pays the price. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having to stand before God and say, sorry, kind of drug your name through the mud by the way I live my life. I knew what you've done for me, but I wasn't willing to share it with anybody else. We talked a Wednesday night ago about, um, about the importance of a name and why that's so vitally important. And, and when I went on our trip, our guy's trip, and I told you guys about that and getting to drive the race car and all that kind of stuff, my dad was talking and he's telling us these stories about, um, about his childhood and about some things that had happened. And my grandfather, who passed away before I was ever even born, I never had the opportunity to meet or know him. And he said this, he said, uh, you probably don't know this, but uh, for the first like three months that your grandpa dated your grandma, uh, she didn't know his real name. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, she thought his name was Dave. I said, Dave? My grandfather's name was Corley. That's my dad's name. Uh, his name was Corley Sr., Corley Wilson Overall Sr. 
And he, he told my grandmother when they went on their first date, his name was Dave. And for three months, she called him Dave. They talked on the phone. They went out. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Dorothy? That was her name. And so they went back and forth for three months. And then after that three months, he finally went and said, uh, just to let you know, my name's not Dave. And she was like, what are you talking about? He said, uh, my name's Corley. I didn't want to tell you my real name in case this didn't work out. You couldn't find me later. And I was like, what are you talking about? And dad's like, yeah, for the first three months, she would laugh about it. I was like, she thought that was funny? Like, I don't know any girl that would think that's funny. I said, they got married. He goes, oh, yeah, they got married. That's just what they did. He was Dave for the longest time. Why is the name important? Because it's important to know who it is. And I kept thinking, that's, that's an awesome story. That's like Hugh Quimby coming up and telling me his name is Sam Jones. For the first three months that I was here, I thought his name was Sam. And then finally somebody walked up to me and said, that's Hugh Quimby. I was like, no, that's, that's Sam. No, they're the same guy. And I was like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> He's done that to every pastor in this church, just so you know. Here's the deal. When you think about how important it is for us to know names, and then you think about how important God's name is, man, what kind of weight are we carrying around? What kind of responsibility do we have to make sure his name is not blasphemed by our actions. That's incredibly, incredibly important. So we have this command. Go and make disciples. And we see Jesus explain the cost to the person whose life is going to change. And we see Paul explain the cost of the person who's going to be willing to share. And so my question to you this morning as we wrap up is this. Are you willing pay the cost are you willing to give up your normal quote-unquote routine to be invaded with the gospel of who jesus really is and those of you who already understand that are you willing to live your life to a point where god's name is glorified through you and that when you tell people it's just a natural extension of who you are and what you believe and how you live your life it's not in contradiction with each other. I'm going to give you a couple of action steps and we're going to be done because I think this is important. Here's your action steps for the week. Okay, I told you I want you to come back. Number one is identify your person. Identify the person that you know that you're supposed to share the gospel with. Some of you already through the sermon this morning have been thinking about one person's name. And you can see their face and you can go, I know I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with them. I just don't know how. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. I'm a little afraid. Maybe I'm a little nervous. Maybe I've never done this before. But you know that God's put that person on your heart. And because we're in this situation and because we're in the circumstance that we are in the, in the, in the, in the crowd that's here, I'm going to say it like this. And I've said this to your students for 10 years. Everybody I know goes to church. All my friends are saved. Make new friends. Meet new people. Maybe it's the cashier at the grocery store. Maybe it's the person who uh, is your meter reader. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody that you have a, a pretty consistent interaction with, but you just don't know. Identify your person. And then number two is pray. Pray specifically for them this week. Starting today, I want every morning... When you wake up, I want you to pray that person's name. God, I want you to watch over so-and-so today. 
I want you to provide whatever they have, whatever they're needing. Man, I want you to be real to them in a way that they've never understood you before. And let today be a day maybe that, that they begin to start kind of being a little open to what you're doing. Pray specifically for them. And then number three, come next week. <laughs> come next week because we're going we're gonna to talk about how we can share this, how we can tell the greatest thing that we've ever told, how we can share this incredible blessing that we have of salvation with somebody else. And listen, if you already know that, if you're already familiar with that, if you're already comfortable with that, then don't wait till next week. Pray specifically that God will give you the opportunity to do that this week. That he'll spur a conversation, that he'll have something happen where you can easily interject the gospel into that. Listen, identify your person, pray specifically for them. And then if you're not comfortable with how to do that, then you come next week and we're going to walk you through that in a way that's so easy and so simple that you're going to say, man, I, I should be able to do this a long time ago. So that's where I'm going to leave you. With a hook to come next week, TJ's going to come. We're going to have an invitation. Here's the invitation this morning. The invitation is a little different because uh, I've left you with these action steps. I know it's a little awkward and it's a little different, but, but here's what I want you to do. If God's got somebody in your heart right now, then I want you to begin to pray for them right now in this invitation. If you feel like you need to come forward and pray at the altar, then please do that. If maybe your life hasn't been lining up with the gospel and the way it's supposed to, and you just need to pray and say, listen, God, before I start praying for this other person, let me pray for myself for a second. Let me, let me really begin to, to get my life in line so that I can easily share the gospel and not look like I'm coming out of left field to the people who I love the most. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I've been close to what I think is going to give me well, but I don't know that I've ever really made that commitment. I, I'm, I need to get saved. And this is the best place and the easiest place to do that because what God wants to do in your life is beyond what I can even verbally communicate to you this morning. But a lot of us, I feel like, a lot of us just have that person that God is eating our lunch over right now. And you know that you've had opportunities in the past to share you know that you've blown and you've missed them and maybe you've it's been 10 minutes after that conversation you thought, oh, I should have said something. It doesn't mean you can't go back. You need to begin to pray for that person right now. We've been on this whole intentionality thing since the beginning of January. We've been talking about how you need to be inviting people to church. This is the easiest way for you to do that. But you begin today by praying for them. You begin today by knowing that you know that you're saved. You begin today by living your life as a reflection of the grace that you've been given. It all starts right now. Would you stand with me and bow your head as we pray? And if you need to come, you come. I'll be forward. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 1030. Our small groups start at 930. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.